This episode is brought to you by Bibliophiles, a production of the Center for Lit Podcast Network, where the Andrews family brings the great ideas of Western literature to bear on the life, art, and culture of our modern world. Look for Bibliophiles, that's Bibliophiles with an F, wherever you get your podcasts, or find curriculum materials, online classes, and book clubs at centerforlit.com. David Kern. I'm Heidi White. And you're listening to Close Reads, a podcast for the incurable reader on which we are discussing the death on the Nile movie edition. We already did the book, so time to do the movie. Hey, before we get into this, we're going to talk for for roughly 30 minutes about Tim could not join us for this. I don't think he's had a chance to see the movie yet, Uh, but you and I are going to do about 30 minutes on the movie and just kind of dig in all the things that we think about that movie, the things we liked, the things we didn't like, the changes, the casting, other stuff. Before we do that, though, have you seen the the one from like the 70s, the other movie? I haven't. I've heard it's great, but I've never seen it. What about you? Same. I was listening to a podcast and they were actually talking about that movie. And I thought, ah, I need to see that. So I think it's got Mia Farrow as Jacqueline in it. Um, and the podcast that I was listening to was saying how great her performance is. But we're not we're not here to talk about that movie. She was Daisy Cannon in the old Great Gatsby too, and she was an amazing oh, yeah. Daisy Buchanan. So I can see That's her true. as Jacqueline de Bellafort. So I've got I got some questions here. We're gonna kind of dig right in just for time's sake. But the three sort of categories I'd like to at least make sure we cover are what do we think of this movie as a movie? Because it is a movie, right? We have to consider it from that perspective. Then we need to talk, mm-hmm. make sure we talk about it as an adaptation. So what do we think of the changes that were made, the way that it translated that particular story from a book to the screen? And then I want to talk about casting. Let's do that in opposite order, because I want to talk about the casting. Sure. Where do you stand on like overall, where do you stand on the casting? Who who were some of your favorite um, performances in terms of how they portrayed the characters? I thought Jacqueline was really good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, think I actually Emma, thought that, that she was so good that I thought that that whole center triangle was like great. I loved Gal Gadot. I loved, I loved, I, I thought, they did a great job casting. Um, I mean, this is a modern movie in contemporary America. And so they were very (laughs) careful to create a diverse cast and to make the diverse cast intentionally diverse on, and, and to make that a, a, part of the content of the film, which isn't in the book, but I didn't mind that. I thought that the casting was good. I liked that it was international. Um, I liked the, uh, I just liked the look of it. I thought, I thought that, I thought it was cool. I I liked it. What about you? So, okay. The, I have, I've been trying to figure something out. You know, I was, okay. I was all in for Gal Gadot as Lynette. What's her right. accent though? Israeli. She's Israeli. No, I know who and she is. And they didn't, the- right. But I know they didn't change it. Like she just was, she just spoke like herself. Right. Her performance to me, I didn't like that. I don't understand that. Her performance to me yeah. was like, I mean, I think Army Hammer was awesome. I think um, he's always awesome. He's such a Emma, great creep. Like he's perfect yeah, yeah. as a creep. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, he's like one of those people that's just kind of like beautiful and weird and like should play those roles. <laughs> and in real life, he's 
seems to be just as weird. And so like, maybe it's not acting, but it works for a movie. Yeah. Um, Emma Mackey, uh, I thought she really like kind of stole the movie. Her like, she was great. Intense energy. Her like eyes bulging out of her head. Um, she was great. Um, and um, I like, I thought Russell Brand was fun as Dr. Windlesham. Um, he did a good job. He was so subdued and understated, which is not him, but it <laughs> fit the role right. really well. You follow him on Instagram or watch his YouTube videos. I kind of liked how they did the casting. Like what I liked about the casting is that there was always this sense of, of the, there's the cast and yeah. the acting. And then there's kind of this sense of like the actor, him or herself, like hovering behind the like character. The they celebrity. Were yes. Which yeah. I actually think works with a movie like this, that is bigger than life. That's completely unrealistic. That yeah. is an old story, making a comment on modern life. And I think that really fit. And I liked Russell Brand in that kind of like understated, subdued role, even though he's a really flamboyant kind of guy. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So why, but why did the Gal Gadot thing, why does she not use an English accent? They have all these American actors using British accent. These British actors using American accents. You've got, I mean, I'm not the first person to bring this up since the movie came out. I just don't understand. I don't understand. Well, if we want to be really charitable and say that it has nothing to do with her ability to pull it off, (laughs) then the other option might be that they want it to be her, not Lynette Doyle, but to be this celebrity figure at the center of the movie. We're supposed to see her. And she didn't act anything like Lynette Doyle frankly, in the book. And I, I mean, you just have to make a choice on whether you think that works or not. Like it Hmm. was like, it was Wonder Woman playing in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. We'll come back to it. Okay. What do you think of, so after two movies, what's your Branna take on Branna as Hercule Poirot? I'm having a really hard time. I think his French accent's unbelievable. I think he's an incredible actor. I think he did a great job making him um, funny and bigger than life and all the things that Perot mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Like he, he nailed all of that. Um, there's other choices that they made that I think just completely failed. Um, yeah. But he's- We'll talk about that in a second. As a, yeah, exactly. Like, But yeah, I think he's great. Like his French accent's amazing. Like it's Kenneth Branagh. Like he's- like yeah. he can act anything. Like I think he can act anything. Like in the world, he could probably be Lynette Doyle. <laughs> it's great. Now that's a movie that I'm surprised they yeah. didn't make. Honestly, um, right? So I, I what are you. What are your thoughts on that? Okay, I have decided that after two movies, I'm all in. I am all in on Kenneth mm-hmm. Branagh as Poirot, and here's why. He because, was better in this one than in Murder on the Orient Express, but go ahead. But I think he is, I think he has a sense of who he wants this character to be. And it's different than like David Suchet. Mm-hmm. Kenneth Branagh knows that Hercule Poirot is absurd and he plays him absurdly. Like, I think this whole movie is ridiculous and I think it's in on the joke. Like, I don't think they're trying mm-hmm. to be serious. I think there's so much stuff where they're like, these are ridiculous stories that are meant to be sort of silly they're meant to be fun Poirot is meant to be just an absurd character which is why Christy I think had such a hard time with him but also why people like him he's a genius but he's also just ridiculous right he he's genius he's so smart but he's also so silly and I think 
that I I really enjoy how much fun uh, Branna is having just being letting that ridiculous come ridiculousness come out. And I think that the whole movie is meant to be kind of a send up. Like I th- I think it's meant to be kind of silly. I don't think it's trying to be take itself seriously. And I think that that's one of the reasons why people have a hard time with it. I think it kind of makes fun of the tropes. I think it kind of makes fun of um, the characters and what these kind of movies are like, but in a loving way. Does that make sense? Like it's not, it's not satirizing them. It's just having fun at the expense of those. It's laughing with and at (laughs) the tropes, I think. So I'm all in on that vibe because we've had David Suchet, the 1970s, dark Amazon TV series, BBC, like all these are trying to be so serious. They're trying to recreate the, they're trying to be realism. And from the get go, this movie is not at all concerned with the realism of it. And, and I, Mm -hmm. I I like that about it. Now it falters at times, but I like that they're going for that. Well, to your point, David, I think that the times that it falters are when it tries to take itself seriously. Like, I think you're exactly right. And, and the, the blips on the radar, I mean, I, I think that they're, when they're trying to make some kind of statement and, and we're like, that just doesn't work. That was stupid. Like, and it, but it's not like, I hated that. It's dangerous. It's going to undermine our culture. It's more like that just didn't work. That was dumb. You should have been cool about it. Yeah. It felt felt like you were, it felt like you were insisting upon yourself as my friend Jared likes to say, as our friend Jared likes to say. Yes. Um, Okay. So, uh, so we agree. Army Hammer. Kind of perfect. Great. As, oh man, he was so creepy. Good. I wish he had more screen time. I, do I too. wish he had. I wish he was more. I yes, he was great. He plays one thing I like about him is he he plays Simon in this way that is it's it's he's a creep. He's also insecure, and yet he's also like he has this like a. Uh, aggression about him so he's got all of these things at the same time like like he's able to he doesn't just lean into like aggressive creepo simon doyle he doesn't just play him as the uh in the uh, insecure version who's insecure boyish right sexy yeah yeah like all these different things um he doesn't just play him as like this you know possessed by desire like all of these things are in there and it makes the character work better and it makes him work with Emma mm-hmm. Mackey because otherwise they wouldn't make sense, the two of them. Like that's one of the things you have to mm-hmm. do in this movie is you have to show how those two people are obsessed with each other enough to do this while he's also got to be a sort of, you have to also have to buy him as being with Lynette, which is kind of like, right. Th- that makes him kind of an inherently difficult character to portray. I agree. And I think he nailed it. I think he did a great job. And like I said, I wish that there had been more of him on the screen because he's so compelling. You mean handsome? Because I just think there was more, well, he is handsome, (laughs) but he just is like, like, yeah, there's something about him that I don't know if it's him or his, I, I don't know what it is, but there is something about him that's like, you're yeah, there, there's something off about that guy. And and that, of course, works with Simon Doyle. Um, but I, I just think that he was, the way it seemed to me at the end of the movie was 
he could have done so much more with that part um, and was limited by the length of the movie and the amount of screen time he had, but he could have played it even deeper. And everybody else, I thought, I mean, for the most part, was I mean they're all playing stock characters, right? Um, that's, and they that's all the did thing. a good job with it. These yeah. movies are just full of stock characters, and so like mm-hmm. the desire to make them more than a stock character is uh, must be. It's I can understand why the filmmakers want to do that. Like they want to say, let's make this character something a little more than just the stock character that's in the Christie book. In a book, you don't notice that it's a stock character in the same way that you do in this two-hour movie where the characters don't have enough time to really be interesting stock characters. They're just kind of there for their three scenes. And so giving them something else to do makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense. And I, I actually kind of wonder how much that was written on the fly. If you're, if I'm being honest, like how much did they rewrite on set? Yeah. But. Well, and it was, I, I just thought with Simon and like with Jackie, I felt like she played that part as much as she could have and ought to. And I thought she like fully inhabited every moment of screen time she had and really couldn't like, if she'd had more, it wouldn't necessarily have changed the movie or made it any deeper with, with him. I always feel like he never gets to do everything he can do in any movie he's ever in. Um, (laughs) And like, I, I, I just like, there's so much that, uh, yeah. Um, and then with, with Lynette in the middle, they, I, I, there were some falters, I think with her, but I don't know if they could have done more with the amount of, with just the two hours they had. Yeah. I think that she kind of ends up being She's the, bossy enough. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You can see them trying to do that with the way she treats Rose, uh, maid. Um, Louise. Yeah, Louise. Yeah. Um, they're trying to do stuff like to, to kind of flesh out her sense of power. Okay, before we talk about the changes, which are going to be one of the things that everyone want to hear about, let's talk about this movie as a movie. Where do you stand on some, some of that? Because um, there's one thing that really bugs me about it, and there's other things that I really liked about it. So what, where do you stand? I mean, the cinematography was amazing. Like it looked, it was like this big movie, and it looked mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved that. Movie. Yeah. Um, I, I think what's, what's the thing that bugged you? Tell, tell me now and I'll tell you if I agree with it or not. It's not, it's not dusty enough. So it's in Egypt. You just don't like clean things. (laughs) No. Okay. So it's, it's, it's interesting to look at, but at times. Hemlines aren't dirty and there's not enough sand. Thank you. I need head dirty hemlines. (laughs) If a movie doesn't have dirty hemlines, it's not a real, it's not real. It's just not real. Um, have you ever seen a woman? Supposed to be have you ever seen a woman drag hem, hems across the dirt and then and then be clean after the, after the fact? Um, so no, it's not it, like the cinematography is interesting, but at times it gets a little bit too CGI ish for me, like a little video gamey, and it's it's beautiful, but then it like they should be sweating more. That it needs to be a little dusty. Like there's gonna be like more moisture in the air, all that kind of stuff to make it feel a little more lived in, but I can see why they didn't like it. It feels like, I don't know that they were, how much of it was actually in <laughs> on location. <laughs> so, um, it, like when you're wondering whether something was shot on location, that kind of bugs me. Um, but overall, yeah, I, I agree that that's kind of my, I just wish it felt a little more lived in. I like movies that are cleaned up like that. I like it when they look like they're perfect. That was the whole point of Lynette's money is that she could clean up even Egypt. Like, I think it fit with the, uh, with the theme. Like, I think the whole point was 
they, I mean, I loved when they get on the Karnak and it's like this party ship and they're popping champagne and you know, it's coming. And then by the end of the movie, it's all, it's like nighttime and, and it's everything's quiet. empty. Yeah. And it's quiet and it just has that like creepy horror movie feeling to it. I loved that. And I think the reason that it worked so well to be creepy without it becoming like a horrible, dark, depressing movie was because they, everything was so idealized and so plastic and so cellophane and perfect. And then, Mm -hmm. and yet there's this like horror lurking within. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, okay. In the midst of that, though, is this like, um, they're really trying to make, like, there's a sensuousness to it. Like, they're really trying to have, like, a sexiness mm-hmm. to this movie. What do you make of that yeah, part of it? Yeah, for sure. Like, whether it's the dancing at the beginning yeah. or the way they kind of, like... The comments. Yeah, the comments. The comments about how often they're to- <clears throat> they're together in bed and all that. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that that was kind of dumb. I I I I think that... The the whole dancing scene at the beginning, first of all, my son had seen it the day before I had. And so as I was watching <laughs> were it, like, uh, I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, right. He <laughs> was like his homeschool group. Because <laughs> all the parents are like, go see Death on the Nile. We'll drop you off and pick you up in two hours. Um, so we had to have follow-up conversation about that. But um, <laughs> You did? Uh, did you say you did have a conversation <laughs> about that? We did. Yeah, we had. Uh, yeah. Did you record that one? Conversation about that. I'd like to know. I did not that. record that, but there was a little bit of close ranty. Um, but I mean, so like as a parent, <laughs> you, you care about that, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, as I, I think I get what they, why they did it. They, they had to show this disordered desire and this over the top sexual magnetism between Simon and Jacqueline. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, is it realistic? No, but to your point that you made a few minutes ago, nothing about this movie is realistic, not even the setting, not even the sand, right? It is, yeah. it's a movie, it's artificial and it's artificial and all the artificiality is intended Kind of like Baz Luhrmann is what it reminded me of a little bit. Like all the artificiality mm-hmm. and the over-the-topness yeah, is sure. intended to contribute to the tone and the feel and the content of the movie. And mm-hmm. so do I like that in a moral sense? No. But do I think it worked artistically? Absolutely, yes. Like you what get you. Yeah, you get why they made that change. Because at first I was like, I went with Graham and I was kind of like, well, this is a little well, uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then and mm-hmm. what makes it uncomfortable is like, you know, it goes, it lasts a while, <laughs> you know, and then it goes yes. in, and then it be, kind of becomes, it gets weird, if that makes sense. And like, mm-hmm. I think that weirdness, like, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. You have to feel or get, you have a way of just, they have to have a way of displaying the like unfettered passion, the sort of, um, what was the word you used? The sort of disordered passion of these sexual two. Sexual magnetism yeah. and right. disordered. Yeah. Yeah. So you have the to have all that. about disordered love. Yeah. And yes. it just kind of yes. like a movie has to do that through, through a couple of visuals. You have to capture so much through a couple of visuals, it, but, but it goes like just far enough to where you're like, yeah, maybe my 14 or 15 year old kids shouldn't go see this movie, you know? <laughs> um, right. And you shouldn't be afraid to send your kids to see an Agatha Christie adaptation. And so in that sense, as a parent, I'm like, really, come on. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, but yeah. I get, I really do understand the directorial choice. It, uh, of, I don't think it was just gratuitous. I think they were intending right. to create an atmosphere and I think they succeeded. Right. Cause then you get that subsequent lit scene where they drop the rock, you know, um, where he, Pennington tries to drop the rock on Lynette and Simon yep. and they're like, sort of like they're that, trying to capture to me that's like them it's right. them showing like trying to capture the same magnetism it's almost like mm-hmm. she lynette is trying to recapture what what was happening earlier and it never really catches does that make sense like they're I trying it's like totally clearly agree. a callback that oh my gosh that i think that okay so what i'm about to say all you moral people out here who listen to this podcast, you're going to hate me. And I am, I, I think that that scene worked better than any other scene in the whole movie to make you not like Lynette. And it's not supposed to be like brilliant appealing. I thought it was absolutely brilliant what they did there because she's so, um, First of all, their sexual attraction is not believable, even in the movie. And I don't know if that's if that was intentional or not. I don't. I don't know if it was just Emma Mackey is beautiful and hot in a completely different way than Gal Gadot is. Like, I don't know. But I think they make Gal I, I think Lynette is trying is trying hard. Like I think her trying yes. hard is what Emma Mackey, what what uh Jacqueline doesn't have to do. I totally like, agree. And she's not, and she's way more likable than Lynette in the, in the book and right. on screen. I think she works just, she's much more likable because she, that actress, even though she's kind of that object of envy we talked about on the, on the show, she's like, she is, she's just likable. She's likable yeah. to women as well as to men. And that's, so she, she just, I was like, oh, her is Lynette the whole time. But in that scene, I was like, oh, I hate that girl. And the reason yeah. is because <laughs> of the Cleopatra thing. Right. Like that worked better than anything else. That was such a great choice how how they had Jacqueline talking to Poirot and saying that she was supposed to be Cleopatra and that in the school play and then Lynette got the part and then Lynette and she got to play Charmian, the servant girl. And then later on, she, she's like making out with her with with Simon while talking about well, like giving her lines as Cleopatra and ordering yeah. and bossing Charmian around. That was mm-hmm. so brilliant. It wasn't in the book. It was, it was perfect. Yeah. I was it's, so glad that scene was in there, even though it was creepy. And it's great. Um, like Brenna knowing Shakespeare type stuff, right? Yes. Like there's a, there's an ode to, to his days as a, as a Shakespearean actor. Right. Yeah. And in that moment, she's like, she's so sort of, it's just kind of like grotesque almost like she's totally she's trying so hard and to like make him desire her. And it's just like the opposite is kind of happening. It's kind of like gross. And, and it makes, it changes the dynamic Mm -hmm. of the relationship and of what's coming. And like it, that's where it kind of like begins to heighten up the, the sort of dramatic tension. But anyway, um, let's talk about some of these other changes before we go. We only have a couple minutes left. Um, what, uh, where do you want to start? Um, let's talk about the book. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We're going to do the mustache. We're going to do the, uh, is that last we're going to need the, we're going to do the trauma, the mustache trauma last. Um, let's do, let's do book. Okay. So he, they change a couple characters around. They consolidate, you know, they, they synthesize a couple characters into one here. They make book. They take in, um, the, the, um, the mother and the son that are the thieves. They make it book. 
and then Book, of course, gets pops, and he, yeah. So, so what? Um, what did you make of that change? I loved, I loved the consolidation of Book into Tim Allerton. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it worked perfectly well. It didn't bother me a bit. Um, I thought the most of the plot changes were fine because it's a movie. And to your point that you've made before, like it's a movie, not a book, and they're different. And you have to give our audience some skin in the game. And uh, and Sonny Otterburn's death was never going to be that. And so to give Book that, I liked that. I thought it was great. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's some other things that didn't work so well, but that one I thought was really good. How about you? Yeah, I was fine with that one. I was surprised. I thought, cause I, just cause I thought Book was going to show up in more movies. Cause you know, yeah. he, he, from he's in the first movie. Character. <clears throat> um, what did you think of Book? So, so when I knew that this movie was being silly and not taking itself seriously was Book on the pyramids. Like after the, this very serious opening part with that's, well, at first you think it's serious, the mustache trauma, but then you you get him on the pyramids just being a complete buffoon and a goofball and like the it's almost like something out of like a you know a, like, like a 19 doll or something yeah 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 or like a 1950s comedy movie or something mm-hmm. um and at that point i was like okay this is a movie that's not taking itself seriously um so i i was overall fine with that change i thought the um it made what did you think of making the old woman into the communist. That's the one that I was just like, eh. that, that, yeah, that was dumb. I mean, really that, that just, I thought that that didn't really work. Van Skyler, Miss well, Van Skyler. Like, because they already had the complication of like, surprise, she's a lesbian and look how many oppressed people we have in our movie. <laughs> some, yeah. Yeah. Are, um, that, that, that whole one felt a little bit like yeah. you're checking off boxes instead of making characters. That was the one yeah. that, her, her whole thing was the weirdest to me. Okay, what yeah, do you think of the Audubons? Because I did not care for um, Letitia Wright's little speech oh, on the stairs. Horrible. That was uh, the that, worst. Well, and that's exactly what I meant when I said when the movie tries to take itself seriously, it fails, it falters, and you're like rolling your eyes because it's not fun anymore, and the and it's supposed to be fun. Mm-hmm. I don't like to be preached at through a movie. It's destined to be in a movie like that they had to find a way in this contemporary in this cultural moment they had to find a way to knock down our main character because he's you know too because he's a white man and they had to knock him down a peg or two and so they chose that way to do it but i think they just could have should have done it differently and that just didn't work i'm not a fan i didn't work at all i'm not a fan of like we're towards the the denouement of the movie and we give like a speech that says the point. So like, even like, I'm okay with like, if you want to do something that kind of deconstructs Poirot, like I'm not against that in theory, but it's all about execution. So deconstruct the white detective who's a genius character. If you want to, like, that's the kind of movie that I'm, I would still watch. Right. But when it becomes like, when you have to have the, um, the girl on the stairs just kind of giving a speech that kind of tells you what it is that you're supposed to think. I'm never exactly. going to be in favor of that. So that, that Agreed. to me was the issue. It was Not- a failure artistically and thematically. Like it just didn't work. Like right. You just forced that in there and it failed. Okay. Anachronisms. Um, Sophie uh, Okanedo Oken- o- o- as uh, Salome Otterborn, who she's the jazz singer and all that. Um, there was some talk on the Facebook page about electric guitars and 
you know, <laughs> obviously the electric guitars didn't look like that in uh, the 1930s. Right. But what's your take on uh, <laughs> on the anachronisms so, in that character? So, okay, there's a couple of things that because I'm I, I'm maybe a little more forgiving on in light of the whole um, Agatha Christie canon. One is the fact that Poirot does indeed fall in love with a flamboyant, extravagant woman within in her canon mm -hmm. um who's a right. thief and and she's russian and she's like a countess and vera Popovsky. Yeah. like she's yeah. so yeah, he, yeah. he is attracted to that kind of woman he does have a thing for that kind of woman and so for them to she's exotic it, and troubled yes within this like thing. cultural context i was like that's fine it, like i didn't mind it i thought it actually worked to humanize him a little bit which other ways they tried to humanize him didn't work um that one i didn't mind um and I, I actually didn't even mind the lesbian love affair because that's another thing that's pretty common within the Agatha Christie canon. When you have two elderly women living together and it's never explicitly said within the book, but it's very clear that they are kind of like hiding from prying eyes to yeah. just protect their relationship. That's right. happened in many of her books, probably like right. over 10 of them. And so I like those kinds of things were like, you know, my whole thing about like, don't violate the spirit of the book. but even if you change something like I didn't think either of those things violated the spirit of the book. I understand why in this cultural moment, they were more appealing to the directors uh, and to the screenwriters than other things they could have used. And that feels a little disingenuous, but overall, I didn't mind that. I yeah. think it still fits with Agatha Christie. What about you? I'm, I am, I'm like the last person anybody ever wants to ask about anachronisms in movies because I kind of love them. So <laughs> Like, they don't, I, I don't, I don't mind them. Like I love the, uh, um, shoot. What's the, I'm drawing a blank here. Cause my brain's not working, but the, um, Kirsten Dunst, who is the French queen, the French oh, revolution. Marie Antoinette. Oh yeah. I love yeah. the, the, uh, Sophia Coppola, Marie Antoinette starring Kirsten, Kirsten Dunst, which is like just completely full of anachronisms. And it's one of my favorite movies. So, um, I don't care even a little bit about that. So I'm the wrong person to ask. I think okay. sometimes they work great. Heidi, it's time to talk mustache trauma. Yeah. <laughs> this is when all of our, our listeners who've been waiting for me to close rant about it and are sitting here surprised at home. They're like, I can't believe Heidi didn't hate this movie more. I hated that. Even I like hated the framing everything device. about that. I thought it was terrible. I thought it completely failed. I think... I think Kenneth Ronis should be ashamed of himself. I think it was awful. I hated it. Period. Go on. <laughs> he was not in. Okay, so that violates the spirit of the novel. Right. What I'm saying is you get more time to rant. You have yes. more time. It totally violates it. The mustache I mean, Poro is his mustache and his mustache is a, it's, it comes out of his, his ridiculous buffoonery, his vanity, not out of some like troubled backstory. That was stupid. True, like, but I will say the, the vanity part does get covered by the fact that he's vain about his face having scars. Yeah, but out of like some tragic love story, like that's the, he would never love that it just it doesn't fit with the character. It's our modern need to have like a trump to have a trauma. Yeah, we plot, talked about right? this recently. Yeah, the trauma plot. Yes, yeah. like we need a trauma plot. It's like the only way we can read the New like a character is if he has some kind of sad life story in the back, and that 
that's not Poirot. To your point that you made earlier, Poirot is supposed to be, he's supposed to be a bit of a buffoon who surprises everybody with how good he is at being a detective. He owns that about himself. He uses that to solve crimes. He has no tragic backstory. He has no face trauma like the reason he wants a mustache is because he's it's like freudian right it's like he wants a big thing on his face because he's a small man like he's that it it just didn't work and to have him shave it off at the end was i i was like about to burn it down i liked i pretty much liked everything about the movie in between i the... thought that was so so bad <laughs> yeah it was bizarre i mean I, the only explanation for me is that it goes along with the movie just kind of like making fun of the whole thing. It felt to me like they were making fun of those sort of stories. And then when the rest of the movie was as silly as it was, I, I think that might be true. But, you know, I don't know that it's clear enough that they're making fun of it. If it was, I didn't get that. I, if I, well, you're I ready to burn it all down. Right. So. Like, I almost hope you're right. Like that, I, I, I hope that they were trying to like mock that trauma plot backstory thing. And then it just kind of came across like they were taking themselves too seriously and they didn't do a good enough job with it. That to me is the, the only charitable explanation for what just like was like bad art. Like, it's like, I was like, this is like unforgivable. Everything else is pretty good in this movie. You guys made a lot of good choices, even though some like hardcore purists aren't going to like it. But that was, that's like making Harry Potter a muggle. <laughs> it's like, you can't do that. <laughs> uh, um, there's a, there, I, I, I laughed so hard because there was a, uh, I think it was like Cinema Blender, one of those movie blogs, had a headline that was like, Hercule Poirot's mustache gets an origin story. <laughs> like when you have to write that headline, it's a problem. Um, well, anyway, I agree. Oh, I man. think that that's ridiculous. Um, I think uh, the idea of Hercule Poirot trying to woo a woman, though, is pretty funny and mm -hmm. would be fine with watching more of that if they can make it work. Um, but yeah. That it's uh very uh very strange, very bizarre. Mm -hmm. I I do like how much they they lean into um his love of symmetry though. Yeah, I they did a good job with that with the desserts. I was like, yeah. which one of those desserts would I give up? <laughs> give up the pistachio <laughs> <Yeah>. one. <laughs> exactly. Or like the egg and the way he like <laughs> organizes his room and all that. Yeah. Okay, Heidi, out of five stars, how many stars do you give Death in the Nile? Uh, 3.5 in a charitable world. 3.5. Oh, those, yeah. Three, 3.5. I actually did give it three. So three is my, on, on my letterbox account, three is my, my, my number. Yeah. Um, do we need to cover any more Pride and Prejudice ground before we get off this particular movie podcast, or have we uh, sufficiently beat that horse? I think we've I think we've sufficiently beat the horse of so the hemline, and and once again, in Death on the Nile, you're wrong. <laughs> All right, well, for Heidi White, <laughs> um, we have to go uh, meet Tim uh, here virtually on Zoom and discuss the next part of what book are we reading now? 
As I Lay Dying. Oh, we're reading we As go, I Lay Dying. Mm-hmm. Yes, we got to go record this week's episode on that. But this was fun, Heidi. Thanks for uh, talking about Death in the Nile. I'm sure really there'll fun. be uh, mm-hmm. plenty of feedback on our opinions over on the Facebook page. Don't, sure. forget, don't forget that you can uh, you can head over there and you know leave your feedback. Um, thanks to Center for Lit and Bibliophiles for sponsoring Close Reads this month and The Daily Poem. And... Uh, Make sure you go check out what they're doing. There's a great podcast that they do. They're great friends of ours, and we are uh, really glad to be working with them. So check them out. Listen every week or whenever they post pods. Okay, that's it. Over to the regular show. For Heidi White, I'm David Kern. Till next time, happy reading or watching as the case may be. Mm-hmm.